Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Tuned in for the first time last week. My apologies. This week we're going to be <laughs> back to normal <laughs> with Sarah leading the charge. Do you uh. think if anybody tuned in last week was sort of a, I like to think of it as a hodgepodge. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that people who tuned in, I thought there was lots of good stuff. I know our regular listeners will have loved it. I, uh, for anybody well, and maybe if it was someone's now, first time, it wouldn't have been weird because they wouldn't have known the regular format. Right. So they would have just been like, oh, this is interesting. And now maybe they're going to be disappointed with our regular format. Now they're going to think this is the upside down. I know. Crazy. <laughs> anyway, last week I took the charge and <laughs> I did my best attempt at making something of a check-in show. We try not to do those because... If we're going to pop up in your feed, we want it to be worth your time. So listeners, thank you for your patience. And I'm excited this week. It's about coffee. We have tangentially mentioned coffee in probably half of our shows. It's a very common question for people. Um, and I think the unfortunate answer, like it almost always is, is it depends. So yeah. <laughs> before we jump into why that's the case and how you can know, you know, how you can make decisions for yourself. I want to thank this week's sponsor, which is Clean Coffee Company. I myself have said many times in the show that it's important for me when you're looking at coffee for it to be um, pesticide free and grown in a sustainable way and all of these things that really matter to me. And so I'm excited that we've found a brand that is both delicious and goes above and beyond when we're looking at all of those factors. Excuse me. You can use code 15 PaleoView if you want to try Clean Coffee Company. Um, Sarah, do you maybe want to talk just a little bit about why those things matter beyond like the environmental stuff that I <laughs> care yeah. about? You know, I think we're we're going to be talking a lot about the research from the last couple of years looking at the health effects of coffee. And what you already sort of alluded to is that there is a little bit of mixed data. I think uh, most of the research over the last few years has been very exciting, uh, especially for us coffee lovers. Uh, and we're kind of like like holding on to that new data with like gritted teeth, like, no, no, don't take my coffee away from me. What's really interesting is this beginning of this conversation, um, and we're a long ways away from being able to say this conclusively, but... Um, this thought that perhaps the studies that show some potential concerns for some people with coffee consumption is related to coffee quality. So coffee um, that you might just get, you know, an inexpensive brand at a grocery store, they can literally have dozens of different pesticide residues. They can, uh, it's quite common to have heavy metal contamination, 
Um, there's, um, molds that, uh, love to grow in coffee. So depending on how they're processed, they can have, uh, mycotoxins are quite common in coffee. And so it, it is one of those things where, you know, quality is very important. And, um, that's one of the reasons why I have fallen in love with clean coffee company. I, um, first fell in love with the flavor and I, uh, am, I definitely consider myself a, a coffee snob. Um, I'm very, very particular about, uh, the particular flavor and roast level and all of these things, but the coffee that I drink. And so clean coffee was like the first coffee company that I found that works really hard to make sure that their coffee is as their name would insinuate perfectly clean. Um, that it was the first one that I found that was, you know, free of all of those different contaminants that also was like absolutely delicious and absolutely the type of coffee that I like. Um, it's very smooth. It's low acid. It's all those things. Um, but then I also had a back and forth with, um, the owners and they had done a ton of different toxin screens and they shared all of their, it's third party tested. They shared all of their data with me and I dug into it and there were actually like some additional, um, screens that I was like, I was just interested if they'd done them because there's, right? These are sort of common aflatoxin, right? These type of common contaminants in coffee. They went back and retested their coffee to like fill in the gaps and it all came back none detected. It's super, super impressive in terms of um, how clean this coffee is. And it's clean because it's entirely sourced from like one family farm. They have a direct relationship with that family. They're doing all kinds of things to support uh, the entire community that's working on that farm. And it's completely controlled, right? So the soil is super high quality. It's geographically isolated. So it's not being exposed to pesticides from, let's say, neighboring farms. And they're doing every step. It's, you know, hand picked, hand processed. It's they're controlling the roast. And they're they're really about creating a coffee, not necessarily that maximizes antioxidants, although it's super, super high in antioxidants, but it's much more about sort of maximizing that um, sort of bold flavor. It's a darker roast, um, but it's also a low acid coffee. So it's just, it's how I start every morning. It is an absolute delight to drink. And it's, I think, a really important thing as we get into the research on coffee to source a coffee that is being very transparent about, um, you know, pesticides and, you know, other sort of farm chemicals like insecticides and herbicides and fungicides uh, and heavy yeah. metals. And I was going to say transparent about all of those. I think the one we hear most commonly is pesticide free. And we've talked before, like even an organic brand, whether it's coffee or something else could be using an organic pesticide. So what is interesting to me is that they actually did testing, which so many few brands do for the mm -hmm. reason that you said a neighboring farm, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. So, but beyond that, I was literally just blown away to see that they test for mold. That's one of the most common mm -hmm. questions and complaints. Um, as we talk about coffee, people who have um, sensitivity to mold. So FYI, if that's you, this coffee could be um, a solution for you. And then also they're testing heavy metals like cadmium and lead. So for those with MTHFR, like myself, I think is one of the reasons that I probably do less well with, you know, coffee outside the house more often and that kind of stuff. So um, I we're going to talk more about all of those things. So 
if you are inspired after that to look and find a coffee that is a better version, we are personally recommending Clean Coffee Company. We appreciate their support of the show in giving you a 15% off code with 15 Paleo View will get you 15% off. You can just go to cleancoffeecompany.com slash the Paleo View. Okay, Sarah, I'm ready for the science. I'm excited because I feel like we touched on the science in the in the like quote unquote commercial. And so now I'm like, we've opened the can of worms. Peel it back. Um, no, coffee to me, it's it's a really exciting hot topic. And it's one of those things, you know, so coffee is actually the second most consumed beverage in the world after water, which doesn't what? surprise me in the slightest. I'm honestly right? surprised. I would have thought tea. Are you? Yeah. I mean, so many cultures make tea. Mm-hmm. Coffee is actually more consumed than tea. Um, and I, you know, I started drinking coffee every morning when I was 14. Um, I have for a long time referred to it as my comfort in a cup. Um, and, and so it, you know, for me, if I was like, oh yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Water and then coffee and then tea. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, and it actually, I mean, like it is, um, there, I mean, there are some fascinating novels about, you know, like the early coffee trade. Like it is, um, it, it, you know, it is the type of, you know, thing that the British empire expanded over, right? Like it's, it's just, um, you know, it's a, it's a major trade commodity as well. Like there's, there's a huge industry, global industry surrounding with coffee, which is one of the reasons why sourcing a, a good quality coffee is really important because as soon as, you know, these sort of global industries, start to get really competitive, that's where shortcuts start being made, right? Um, But one of the things that I think makes coffee such an interesting topic for like an entire podcast episode is that there's been, I think, a lot of uh, like news stories or news sort of commentaries that I've seen recently that have used the example of coffee research as... um, the major talking point supporting the argument that um, scientists don't really know what they're talking about, right? Scientists can't really say anything because look at coffee. First, it was bad for you, and then it's good for you, and then it's bad for you again, and then it's good for you again, and then it's only good for these people. And I, I, I mean, that gets my hackles <laughs> raised for sure because um, I see there being in, in sort of science in general, and this is a slight tangent that I won't go down for too far. Um, there is a challenge in communication between the academic labs where, you know, the people who are doing the research aren't necessarily trained as communicators, right? They're trained as researchers. They are trying to expand human knowledge. Um, and then the institutes where they are that need to draw attention to their high quality research. So they'll do things like write press releases when a paper gets published in a high level journal And then the media outlets that pick up those stories and don't necessarily represent the the research. They certainly very rarely would represent any nuance or important context that's reflected in the research and will represent a new paper, right, picking up that press release as like new fact. And meanwhile, there's something called scientific consensus, which is very, very important in the scientific community. And that is where you look at the body of scientific research that is addressing a specific question from different angles and look for what the majority 
um, statement is, right? So what, what do most of these papers point to as the answer to that question, always accepting that there's going to be conflicting data? And conflicting data doesn't mean that a study was bad or that a study, you know, somebody made a mistake or that somebody is being, you know, fraudulent. Like, yes, when there's a, a scientist who loses their job over fraud, it's a huge news story. And it gives the implication, like all scientists are like in the pocket of big industry and are just making up their data in order to advance their careers. That is maybe 0.0001% of scientists and they get caught and they lose their jobs. Uh, having been in the scientific community, the vast, vast, vast majority of scientists are really just nerds who love learning things and creating these tests to be able to answer questions that have never been answered before and expand human knowledge. Like that is the only goal that they have in, in their lives. And they have to get grant funding to get it, right? The, there's all, you know, there's all kinds of issues around, you know, inadequate funding. But the, you know, the scientists who are working, they just want to know more. That, that's their primary goal. They just are interested in this problem and they dedicate their entire lives to being able to find the answers to their questions. So scientific consensus is, you know, the representation of the research as a whole. And sometimes there's not enough research on a specific question for consensus to be reached. And that's where we talk about things where you talk about things like emerging evidence, right? Like the, you, you talk about a, um, developing picture, but once you hit consensus, you're basically talking about something that's accepted as scientific fact. And with coffee, there has been a number of really well done, big studies, meta-analyses just published over the last couple of years that have really clarified. I mean, they've really helped to, uh, finally reach scientific consensus. And so, yes, you know, in the decade or two decades leading up to these last couple of years, every time a, a paper has been published that says coffee is good or coffee is bad, that's been represented in the media as now, now we know that coffee is good. Wait, now we know that coffee is bad. Wait, now we know that coffee is good. And in terms of that, like, oversimplification of communication, um, that's being done through this sort of archaic process of like press releases and um, uh, journalism. It's not helping to communicate how science is actually done. And so I wanted to talk about coffee as a, a way of both sharing that coffee has some really exciting health benefits uh, for most people, but also by way of explaining that um, when you're trying to answer a question in the literature, it takes a sort of threshold amount of research to be able to reach scientific consensus, which means, you know, definitively answering that question. And coffee has really only gotten there in the last couple of years. And there's still details that need to be filled out. So with that being said, there's been some really exciting research um, that has looked at health benefits of coffee in huge, you know, cohort studies supported by mechanistic studies explaining why. And the I want to actually start with some of the whys. I want to start with like what are the things in coffee that are exciting about coffee or unique to coffee that make it a health promoting beverage. With again, there will be some caveats. 
And uh, it turns out coffee really has like two groups of chemicals in them that are responsible for the health benefits. So coffee contains over 800 different phytochemicals, uh, mostly polyphenols, but also some diterpenes as well, um, that are basically antioxidants, right? So they're... um, you know, plant phytochemicals are the, also one of the main arguments for eating a lot of vegetables and fruit. Um, it's also the main argument for for coffee. So these antioxidants have a variety of important um, properties. They're anti-inflammatory, they're anti-cancer, they're uh, cardioprotective, they're liver protective, and we're going to get into some more specifics. Um, the other main class of beneficial chemicals in coffee, coffee actually contains some unique fiber types. So there's actually up to about half a gram of fiber per cup of coffee, which is kind of amazing when you consider it's also like doesn't have any caloric content, at least black. Um, You obviously can add lots of calories to coffee. Um, But to have like a beverage like that contain fiber is really unique. There are no other beverages, um, maybe short of something like chicory root, right? There probably are some others that that where you would get some soluble coffee or some soluble fiber into the the beverage. But um, but coffee contains actually a fair amount of of soluble fiber. Um, two main types. Uh, one's called galactomannans, and the other one's called arabinogalactins. And these two types of fiber have been shown in a variety of studies to help increase levels of the very important probiotic bifidobacterium, as well as reduce the growth of the very horrible pathogenic E. coli and clostridium. Um, They also have a bunch of other um, different important um, species that they can help to support the growth of. And they actually help increase uh, production of short-chain fatty acids, which are used as a source of energy by our gut cells, but also get into our body and can be used as a source of energy by any of our cells and is well known to be sort of like the main health-promoting compound that our gut bacteria make. And so there's been um, some really exciting like um, studies looking at the application of coffee in terms of the gut microbiome to show that that is mediating at least some of the benefits of coffee consumption. So there was a study looking at um, why coffee might reduce diabetes risk and showing that coffee consumption, this was a rat study, was actually able to um, prevent diet-related um, changes to the gut microbiome. So they were rats that were fed a diet that would normally make them obese and when they fed those rats little teeny tiny cups of coffee, it's not, they weren't actually given cups of coffee. Um, but when they were feeding the rats coffee, they actually were able to I was show... on mute, but I, I laughed out loud and imagined <laughs> like little Everybody. rat hands, like right. holding... Holding the steaming cup of coffee, blowing yep. on it. Yep. I got yep. the visual. Yep. Just wanted to let you know, because I felt like you had a joke and then it, it almost felt flat because they didn't react, but we were all there with you. I was just uh. on mute. You know, you know it, it just, it entertained my brain. So really that was good enough. <laughs> also the little image of a little, you know, little rat holding one of the little, little tiny mug. Um, With his pinky out for sure. Of course. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so uh, the, uh, yeah, they were actually able to show that the giving the rats coffee was able to protect against the sort of high fat diet induced 
um, shift in the in the microbiome, um, which is responsible for a lot of the um, health detriments or increased health risks associated with being obese. So that is like a really exciting, um, really exciting study explaining mechanisms behind some of the health benefits to coffee and attributing them to these two different types of fiber, which since I've already pronounced once, I think I'm good on that. There's going to be more big chemical names coming. So I'm going to save myself for that. Um, the next one is probably the one that most people have heard of. They're called chlorogenic acids or CGAs. These are a type of polyphenol. Um, so they're a very, very, uh, well-known antioxidant and it's believed that through the, um, intracellular antioxidant activity of chlorogenic acids, that is probably the main contributor to coffee's health benefits is this, this main antioxidant. So, um, there's been some interesting studies sort of expanding on the properties of chlorogenic acids. For example, they're, um, chemoprotective. So they actually can help change the gene expression, uh, to help, us metabolize um, different toxins, which is really cool. Um, they also can impact our, our blood clotting. So that is potentially one of the main reasons why coffee consumption reduces risk of cardiovascular disease. And um, polyphenols are also have a really strong impact on gut microbiome composition. So this is um, something that I've talked about more in my you know, gut microbiome lectures that I've been doing over the last year, and will certainly it will have its whole a whole chapter in my upcoming book that I'll you know let's finish at some point. Um, but polyphenols um, actually change the composition of the gut microbiome in a in a good way, right? So polyphenols suppress the growth typically of pathogens while increasing the growth of probiotics and CGA is no exception. It increases the growth of bifidobacterium while decreasing the growth of clostridium. Um, so it's a, a coffee has this like double whammy in terms of, or actually we're going to get to it, triple whammy in terms of gut microbiome. So it's both the unique fiber in coffee, as well as these polyphenols that are benefiting gut microbiome composition, which again is likely responsible for some of the health benefits. That's, that's the likely mechanism. Some other health benefits would be mediated purely by the caffeine as well as the antioxidants in coffee. Uh, another um, really important compound in coffee is, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, trigonaline. It is um, a, it's an interesting phytochemical. It's quite rich in green coffee coffee beans. And it is um, known to be uh, hypoglycemic, so it lowers blood sugar. It's known to be neuroprotective, so it's protecting the central nervous system against damage. Um, it is known to protect against cancer. It's no been known to uh, impact estrogen levels. Um, so it, it can act as a phytoestrogen. Um, that's definitely considered more beneficial in women of perimenopause and postmenopausal age. Um, and it's got some interesting antibacterial um, properties as well. Um, there's also a class of chemicals called melanoidins, which actually coffee is um, one of the only sources of melanoidins in the human diet. 
Um, and they're, these are interesting because they act like dietary fiber without actually being fiber. Um, and so it's, this is actually a really, it's even more than that, you know, half. Can I ask a question that you're going to be shocked comes from me? Mm -hmm. Is this why people say that they go poop when they drink coffee? Do you know that's a thing? People talk about it all the time. Um, yeah, no, it's totally a thing. That actually you're like, to um, do, no, Stacy. <laughs> uh, it, so it actually has to do with um, coffee uh, stimulates a release of bile from the gallbladder, which acts as a laxative when not accompanied by food um, by relaxing the muscles. So um, this would be more. Uh, so actually, the the melanoidins are actually thought to be potentially the reason why coffee reduces risk of uh, colorectal cancer. So, um, but it's cool. But I think, I think, yeah, I think the, uh, why do I always have to poop 30 minutes after my cup of coffee in the morning? Uh, I think that effect is more directly related to the impact on peristalsis and the laxative effect of um, bile secretion in the mornings. Good to know. And interesting, it doesn't affect me that much, except if I, anyway, put a bunch of cream or something in it. Um, (laughs) So that totally makes sense because I don't have a gallbladder. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I, I, uh, without going into TMI, do enjoy this normal property of coffee. Um, which I'm sure most of our listeners and do as we well. just lost everyone. Right, everyone's <laughs> like, and now I'm out. Tap no, out. We're not the only ones, and it's like one of those unspoken things that people whisper about. So I'm sure people appreciate the science of, about the why. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with go. that. I'm gonna feel good about it. <laughs> That's the story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, so I think it's important to sort of say, um, you know, not all phyto- phytochemicals are linked with only health benefits, and there are a couple in coffee that have potential cholesterol raising properties. Um, these are called kawiol and kafestrol. Wait, kafestol. Um, these are the aforementioned diterpenes, which is uh, not a polyphenol. It's a different class of, of phytochemical. Um, and what's interesting is they're like simultaneously uh, associated with coffee that has a better flavor. So, um, Right, like a darker coffee, um, a coffee where you're you're like brewing it with the grounds, like a like a Turkish coffee where it's like in a pot or a French press, um, will have more of these compared to something like instant or filter coffee. So it's it's interesting because they have anti-cancer um, effects um, while also potentially raising cholesterol. So they've got this sort of like double-edged sword thing happening. So I, I feel like because we're going to get into some caveats, it's, it's sort of important to sort of say like with antioxidant phytochemicals, um, you know, there's, for example, broccoli as, as a, as a tangent, but as a, as a good example, um, literally has hundreds of different phytochemicals in it. Um, you know, almost all of which are associated with reduced inflammation. You know, they lower risk of cancer. They're um, cardioprotective. They, you know, can reduce diabetes risk, right? They've got all of these benefits. And then there's like four that are the opposite, right? They're inflammatory and increased cancer risk. So when you consider broccoli as a whole food, you are getting a 
you know, great health promoting food, even though there's these four, four phytochemicals in it that if you were to concentrate just those would be really bad and toxic for you. But in the context of the whole food where you're getting hundreds that are beneficial, your, your cost benefit analysis is really obvious. Like the benefit is, is just amazing. So, um, coffee is sort of similar in the sense that there are some of these compounds that potentially have this, um, effect of raising cholesterol, even though coffee on the whole reduces cardiovascular disease risk, which seems like an excellent time to sort of segue into like, what are the health benefits of coffee? Okay. There's like fiber and all of these phytochemicals. Like what is the impact of actually just drinking, uh, that comfort in a cup every morning? So this is where the landmark studies have really, um, really solidified coffee as a health promoting beverage for most people. And there was, um, a pair of studies, um, just published. Um, I think we're, we're going on coming up to two years now, um, that, uh, were these huge meta analyses and showed that coffee consumption reduced what's called called all cause mortality. We've talked about all cause mortality on the show before, but as a refresher, it is a general marker of health and longevity. So what they do is they take a group of people, they, you know, figure out, they'll, they'll do this really sophisticated statistical analysis where they basically control for any other factor. So they're controlling for whether or not these people are smoking, whether or not they're overweight, whether or not they eat a healthy diet, whether or not they're active, right? All of these other things that we know are impacting health, and those are all controlled for statistically. And then the sliding scale is how much coffee are they drinking? So are they drinking no coffee, you know, a cup a week, a cup a day, two cups a day, three cups a day? They were able to go up to over seven cups a day looking at this this cohort because a a meta-analysis pools data from a bunch of other studies and re-analysis uh, reanalyzes all of the data from all of these different studies with a typically a fairly high threshold for data quality in order to be included. And so what they were able to show is even at the highest um, level of consumption, there's this reduced risk of all-cause mortality. So when you're following this um, group of people over, you know, most, most of these types of studies will look at, at 10 years, some will look at 20 or 30 looking at how many people die from any, any cause, right? So that is accidental, that's um, acute illness, chronic illness, old age. It gives you this um, very general picture of how healthy a population is because even an accidental death is sort of related typically to um, – either mental health challenges or risk-taking behavior, right? Things like um, DUIs, right? Like those things are all captured under accidental death. So it still gives you a comprehensive picture of how healthy, right? You're looking at infection, um, looking at chronic illness, looking at old age. You get this like overall measurement of how healthy are these people on average and how long do they live on average. So it's a really great measurement for whether or not something is good or bad, right? Does it impact all-cause mortality? And then from there, you get more granular, right? Does it impact cardiovascular disease, cancer? And we're going to get there. So the best um, or sort of like optimal dose of coffee um, in uh, this study was found to be three cups of coffee per day. And three cups of coffee per day reduced uh, risk 
of all-cause mortality by 17%. So to put that into what is, context... I'm sorry, before you mm-hmm. move forward, what is a cup? Is that eight ounces? It's an eight-ounce cup. Okay. So most people would... I mean, I start every morning with a cup of coffee, but it's really two cups. And do you know... This, and I'm throwing this at you, and you've had no chance to prepare for it. If um, water osmosis decaf counts as well, osmosis um, might not be the right word. Do you know what I'm talking about when they do yes. the decaf? Okay. So these the, these particular researchers also they separated out caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee. Now under decaffeinated coffee, there was no separation in terms of decaffeination method. So with decaffeinated coffee, right, like you can catch the formalin decaffeination, which has trace amounts of um, formaldehyde left in the in the decaf. So um, that would be captured in the same as like Swiss water decaffeinated. But, um, but uh, what's interesting about that, so um, three cups a day of coffee, it didn't matter um, if it was caffeinated or decaf. So that's really interesting because some of the other health benefits of coffee, it really does matter. But this like big picture showed um, that decaffeinated coffee was almost as good as caffeinated. So that implies that it is like the fiber and the phytonutrients and not the caffeine in the coffee that are having the impact. Um, That also, if we're going to make the argument for it being the antioxidant phytochemicals in the coffee and the um, unique fiber types in the coffee or the unique fiber-like non-fiber in coffee um, that are having these benefits, then that's also another strong argument for seeking high-quality coffee because a high-quality coffee can have four or five times more antioxidants than a low-quality coffee. I think that's similar to tea and food and everything else that we talk about, right? There's more from nutrients and soil to pesticides on it, all of those things are definitely going to play into, I'm sure, a lot of these analysis that make it difficult to determine what really is the triggering mechanism for what is affecting things positively and negatively. So I like the idea personally of taking all of those potential harmful things and neutralizing it as much as possible. And that's why we asked Clean Coffee Company to partner with us on this show, because we want to offer a solution to avoiding some of those more potentially harmful things. While not sacrificing taste, which sounds <laughs> that was the like most... they asked me to say it because it sounded super cheesy. It did. But I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> it totally sounded like I was given a line to read in a commercial right there. I, en- I enjoyed. <laughs> okay. Back to the nerd time. Um, so all-cause mortality as this like big picture look at how health a pop, uh, how healthy a population is, let's get into some of the more, you know, specific chronic illnesses that are affecting Western countries. So cardiovascular disease, Stacey, you're going to really like this. So um, there is a strong reduction in coffee consumers. Again, we're looking at about three cups a day um, of cardiovascular disease, including um, a 19% reduced risk of cardiovascular disease in general, 16% reduced risk of coronary heart disease, and a 30% reduced risk of stroke, which is very cool. And guess who benefits the most? I'm going to guess women. 
Yeah, it's because it's bolded in my notes. In front of me. <laughs> um, yes. So um, this is I. You know, I feel like so often we're talking about things that, right? Um, research is often done right on male mice or rats, right? That's um, we have a lot more research that's done in men, and that's because the estrus cycle adds this like point of variability in women that make women more challenging to study because you have to sort of sync estrus cycles in order to be, sometimes be able to tease out a signal. So a lot of research is done in men and not women, which is um, problematic because there's um, things like, you know, we've talked about, I'm not a big supporter uh, at all of the ketogenic diet. And one of the reasons is, is in women, it's been shown to cause amenorrhea, right? Loss of periods, which implies infertility. Um, it has all of these impacts on female hormones that if you have a very male-centric view in terms of the health impact of something because the science is done more in men than in women, you miss that. And then you you end up promoting something. I mean, I don't support keto for most men either, but you end up making this extrapolation that something might be beneficial for women when it's really only beneficial for men. This is really exciting because we're able to tease out these differences in these huge population studies and show that women actually benefit more from coffee consumption from a cardiovascular disease risk perspective than men, which is very cool. Um, so what's interesting, though, is that there's also this... Um, this impact of caffeine on blood pressure. And so this is an interesting like side note that when you have a caffeinated beverage, your blood pressure goes up. There is um, blood, high blood pressure is sort of like an accepted risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So it's this interesting thing of like, well, if coffee increases blood pressure and blood pressure increases risk of cardiovascular disease, how does coffee reduce cardiovascular disease risk and reduce mortality from cardiovascular disease, which by the way, I should say men and women benefit equally on the lower mortality part of, um, the, the relationship between coffee and cardiovascular disease. And this is like, a the, the how, how it seems counterintuitive that something that would increase blood pressure would reduce cardiovascular disease risk and how that works is basically still an unanswered question in this entire field of research. So, um, well, That's, and I, it's just interesting. I think for me, I wonder also, I know we're going to touch on it, um, how much of that is cortisol related and how people are affected, right? Because mm -hmm. different people, you and I, for example, respond to coffee completely differently. Mm -hmm. And I ask about Swiss water decaf, not water osmosis <laughs> decaf, um, because that's what I drink if I'm going to have any more than just a morning cup, because my body cannot, like I'll start jittering and I don't feel good. And like, I cannot do caffeine. Whereas you and Matt metabolize it completely differently and you yeah. can do multiple cups and, um, it helps you and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, and, but for me, I think also it contributes to stress and anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. I know I notice in myself that I am more, anxious about situations that might arise if I've had coffee where like, yes, I can focus, but then the cortisol is affecting me in other ways. And I think that that also plays into things um, like cardiovascular. And I know that that's not necessarily what the science was researching, but I think that 
we ha- if we're thinking about it big picture, we have to understand that there are multiple factors at play and every single person is going to react to the, or, uh, you know, absorb it differently. Um, and the other question that I had for you though, was you said that they attribute for things like smoking and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they've done an analysis on the people who drink more coffee that have these benefits and reduction of these things. If for example, that's because those people are drinking less soda. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I think about yeah. I know a lot of people in my corporate world who they would either reach for a soda in the afternoon or a second cup of coffee. And the difference that that has in the amount of sugar and that kind of stuff might be playing a factor as well. So I um, I would have to go back and look at ex- the, the methodology on uh, this paper specifically, but soda consumption is typically accounted for in these types of analyses as is sugar consumption, a number of, you know, servings of vegetables, when they're looking at things like cancer and cardiovascular disease, they'll correct for like servings of red meat. Like they, they typically get very granular in their, um, statistical accounting for other known contributors to disease risk. So, um, I would say it's very typical to account for soda consumption. I'm not like a hundred percent certain if this paper did it, but I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, I can see that like, yeah, I can think I can see that in a paper, they statistically could slash makes the most sense slash trying not Mm -hmm. to use the word should do that. But I think as like a normal person thinking about things, then imagine how much bigger the number would be if you didn't account for that, too. You know what I mean? Like if you're. If you know someone who always has an afternoon soda, helping them switch to coffee or um, in my case, I sometimes do matcha because it has less caffeine. Um, if I really need to pick me up, I'll, I'll do that instead of, you know, a soda with caffeine. Like yeah. the, the benefit of that, helping also, someone just make that one switch is incredible. An excellent opportunity to mention that those energy dips in the afternoon are typically related to chronic stress and poor sleep quality or quantity. So there's um, like, yes, I 100% agree that switching to something like a, um, you know, small cup of coffee or, uh, you know, small cup of tea, something like that in the afternoon is obviously better than a soda or a candy bar or any of those other crutches. But we're still talking about a crutch even when we're choosing that cup of coffee in the afternoon. So, um, and not, not to say that I'm speaking from a high place of, I have no stress and I never have an energy dip in the afternoon because that is not what I'm saying at all. Um, I am absolutely a person who has to, um, be incredibly vigilant about all of my behaviors related to stress management. And I would say that the vast majority of the time room for improvement is a really, a really excellent way to describe how I'm managing my stress. So, um, you know, I'm definitely a person who does experience those energy dips in the afternoon, um, at least, uh, relatively frequently, not all the time. So, uh, so, you know, to, you know, with that, all of those caveats, um, you know, do know that an energy dip in the afternoon is not normal and it is definitely a sign of something that could be 
improved upon in terms of typically lifestyle. I think it's a good thing to watch out for with yourself as well. I think it's one thing if you're, you know, you didn't have a good night's sleep or, you know, you know, whatever it is. And I, I, you know, we hear often when we say those kinds of things from new moms, like, oh, but I can't get good sleep. Like, girl, you are feeding human life or maybe it's not even a girl. Maybe you, you adopted and man, you're putting little ones forward and creating life, sometimes sleep is just not going to happen for a while. Just mm-hmm. cue up the rest of your lifestyle factors as much as you can. And then as soon as you're able to get your kids sleeping, get back to your regular schedule. It's not to say that like the, you know, a newborn is going to ruin you, but these things exist and are triggers for us to think about, Oh, what is my body trying to tell me? Um, so good point all around. I Woo-hoo. fully interrupted you. It wasn't even just a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> Please proceed. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was a worthwhile, I think it was a worthwhile tangent. All right. So diabetes, um, drinking coffee reduces risk of type two diabetes by about 30%. And this is another effect that's seen in both caffeinated and decaffeinated. Uh, coffee can also help um, reduce risk of other metabolic diseases, including metabolic syndrome, which is that Wonderful mix of prediabetes or type 2 diabetes with obesity and cardiovascular disease risk factors. Kidney stones um, can also be reduced um, or the risk can be reduced with high co- higher coffee consumption. Again, we're sort of talking three cups a day is sort of optimal here. And uh, so can gout. So um, this is another like the antioxidants that coffee seem to be beneficial. Um Here's one that is specifically to caffeinated coffee, and that is the reduced risk of neurological diseases. The The biggest um, body of scientific literature is with Parkinson's disease, showing that coffee consumption reduces risk of Parkinson's. Um, but it also, there's now here's we're talking about emerging evidence. We still would love to see more data on this, showing that it can reduce risk for depression, Um, and other cognitive disorders, including Alzheimer's disease. So um, there is good data with Parkinson's and there is um, enough, you know, preliminary data to make, start making some statements on some other um, neurological and mental health um, challenges. But uh, again, you know, more data would be interesting here. And this seems to be attributable to the double whammy of higher antioxidants, but also caffeine increases blood circulation to the brain. And so that's helping to bring a lot of, right, fresh nutrients, right, um, more oxygen, more energy molecules, and things like the antioxidants in the coffee that you're consuming at the same time to the brain. And that is what is thought to be driving that mechanism. There's, um, interestingly, some uh, great hepatoprotective effects of coffee, which means protective to the liver. So it reduces risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease by 29%, liver fibrosis by 27%, and cirrhosis by 39%. And that is actually at the one cup a day level. Um, Coffee is also very good for gallbladder health um, and uh, higher consumers. So consuming at least two cups a day reduces risk for gallstones. Um, And that's likely, you know, attributable to the effect that I've sort of already mentioned of coffee sort of stimulating um, gallbladder contraction. So that full emptying of the gallbladder um, 
with meals is very helpful. So it's one of the reasons also why eating distinct meals during the day instead of grazing is much better for gallbladder health. That sort of fits into that whole picture. And then I am, I think cancer is sort of the last one that I, I pulled together some statistics for. So what's interesting about cancer is that like so many things, we have certain cancers where we can detect a signal and other cancers where we maybe can't. So with cancer, um, there is in general about an 18% reduced chance of being diagnosed with cancer in high coffee drinkers compared to no coffee drinkers. Um, and the, the cancers that have been found to respond to coffee consumption include prostate cancer, endometrial cancer, melanoma, oral cancer, leukemia, non-melanoma skin cancer, and liver cancer. So this is very common with cancer research when we're drawing um, links between cancer and any kind of dietary factor, exposures, lifestyle factor. There is an increased risk with high consumption of coffee and certain cancers, most notably lung cancer. Um, and this seems to be um, something that is dependent on smoking status. So it's the coffee smoking combo that increases the risk of lung cancer beyond uh, just smoking by itself. Um, so that is, um, it's, it's a very small small effect, about a 2% effect in non-smokers. Um, and, um, and so that's a, that's a really interesting piece there. So it taken all together, what we are seeing is generally some really impressive health benefits to regular coffee consumption. Um, most of those effects are sort of optimized at the two to three cups a day. Some of those effects are seen at one cup of day. Um, and all of those effects are not improved upon beyond three cups a day. So even though you're still seeing reduced all-cause mortality at seven cups a day, it's not as good an effect as at three cups a day. And that might be related to some of the caveats. So I think with coffee consumption, it's really important to recognize that coffee does not work for everybody. And there are some people who would do better to uh, look to other hot beverages, whether that's um, tea or herbal teas, right, to look to other sources of some of these, you know, types of beneficial phytochemicals. Um, one is the idea of people with uh, hypercholesteremia. So because of these uh, diter beans that can increase cholesterol. Um, and this is, this is one of those things that is, there's not consensus on this point exactly, because we see that coffee consumption transiently increases blood pressure, um, that some of the compounds can increase the lipid profile, but overall it's decreasing risk of cardiovascular disease. So where the scientific community is fallen down now is that if you have familial hypercholesteremia, it's probably better to avoid coffee. Uh, if you have high coffee consumption, it's definitely something to self-experiment with. Try removing coffee and see if your cholesterol um, normalizes. Um, it's, it's unclear how big of an effect coffee consumption has on 
cholesterol in people without familial hypercholesteremia, given all of the other cardioprotective effects. Um, so definitely a talk to your doctor. Um, we already sort of talked about stress. So caffeine increases cortisol secretion. Um, and so it um, basically is magnifying the stress response. Um, there was an interesting, like, oh, I would say two years ago, there was a sort of interesting series of media articles basically saying like, coffee is good for you, but don't have it first thing in the morning. And it's related to this impact of coffee on, on cortisol. So our cortisol is naturally highest right before we wake up in the morning. And then it kind of gradually decreases throughout the day. It's lowest as we're going to bed at night. And every time you eat it, your cortisol's increased a little bit. Um, cause cortisol does sort of mediate some, uh, digestive processes and, um, caffeine will also increase your cortisol a little bit. So the idea is if you're under chronic stress, um, and your cortisol is elevated in the morning, adding a caffeine stimulus to that is not going to be beneficial is the idea behind all of these news articles. Now in the context of, um, what would be colloquially referred to as adrenal fatigue, but more technically HPA axis dysfunction. You know, if your cortisol's not as high as normal in the morning, then coffee might be a beneficial stimulus. So this is again, one of those areas where it's sort of hard to say, like, if you have a lot of stress that coffee's not going to help, it might change the time of day when coffee is best for you. It might be better mid morning uh, or noon rather than first thing in the morning but it might be bad, better first thing in the morning. And I would basically encourage anybody who thinks that they're dealing with, um, uh, let's call it cortisol shenanigans, adrenal shenanigans, like anything that's sort of abnormal cortisol um, timing throughout the day, it's very worthwhile doing a um, like a salivary cortisol panel like Everlywell offers um, and just checking and seeing what your cortisol is doing throughout the day so that you can use that information to make choices. So if your cortisol is really high in the morning, maybe have coffee after you've been up for a couple hours. Um, if it's really low in the morning or if it's normal in the morning, coffee in the morning is going to be fine. So just keeping in mind that there is this impact on cortisol. And if you are somebody with chronic stress, then this might be a good argument for switching to decaf. Um, interestingly, there is definitely a link between coffee consumption and gastroesophageal reflux disease, um, which causes heartburn. But this is also an argument for choosing a lower acid coffee like Clean Coffee Company. So um, it's uh, definitely a, uh, like if you have really severe gastroesophageal reflux disease, talk to your gastroenterologist. Um, find a functional medicine specialist to do, to do some like root cause analysis of what's going on, um, and talk to your doctor. But, um, also if, if it's just something that's like an occasional runs in your family, choosing a lower acid coffee is going to be very helpful there. Um, Stacey, you and I talked about genes that regulate caffeine metabolism and how, um, coffee is very different for you versus for me. And, um, basically there's, there's two main genes that are regulating how we're, um, processing coffee. So one is basically like the gene that makes the enzyme that processes caffeine and another gene that basically 
tells the body how many of those enzymes to make. So when I did uh, like a 23andMe a few years ago, my analysis was like, you are predicted to be an extremely high caffeine consumer because I uh, process caffeine slowly. So I don't get the, the high buzz after drinking caffeine. And I don't get the crash afterwards, but I make a lot of that enzyme so I can process a lot of caffeine. So that is like the perfect storm for somebody who like thrives on caffeine because it, um, when you have that gene combination, you can process a lot of caffeine. So it tends not to disrupt sleep, but you also don't get like the highs and the lows, right? So the, the, um, the like jittery effect from a lot of caffeine with the energy crash afterwards. So noting that if you are a fast caffeine metabolizer, um, there is some evidence that higher caffeine consumption can increase anxiety. So um, that's just something to be very aware of. Again, it's something to talk to a doctor about um, if you are experiencing that. And then the last caveat is um, people with autoimmune disease. There's, um, you know, caffeine itself is sort of generally anti-inflammatory. There's lots of anti-inflammatory Um, antioxidants in coffee, but there's also a couple, you know, as I mentioned, right, there's these pros and cons. There's a couple of phytochemicals that may increase inflammation. And also in a non-high quality coffee, there can be a lot of, right, like mycotoxins dramatically increase uh, uh, inflammation. So fungal toxins. Um, So in autoimmune research with coffee, there seems to be some people uh, with autoimmune disease for which coffee is anti-inflammatory and reduces inflammation and others for which it's inflammatory and it increases inflammation. And this may be related to caffeine metabolism genes. It may be related to autoimmune disease risk genes. It may be related to coffee quality. So because of this research, we talked um, earlier this year in the updates to the autoimmune protocol that coffee is still eliminated initially on the autoimmune protocol, um, but it's moved to a phase one reintroduction because for some people it's going to actually be beneficial and anti-inflammatory. Um, until that research is better, um, uh, sort of more robust, right? And there's just more data and we can understand better whether or not it's a specific gene that's driving this effect or if it's coffee quality. If it's coffee quality, then we just make this emphasis that if you're, you know, when you're on the AIP, you drink high quality coffee. But until we know definitively what's potentially driving the effect of coffee being inflammatory for some autoimmune disease sufferers, that's why it's eliminated on the AIP. So I I think those caveats in general um, basically are a, you know, talk to your doctor if you have, um, you know, a health condition that might mean that high coffee consumption and or high caffeine consumption are not going to benefit you, as well as, you know, be critical in your self-reflection. Overall, the body of scientific literature shows the vast majority of us can benefit from two or three cups of coffee a day, especially if that coffee is a high antioxidant, high phytochemical, right? Basically meaning a high quality coffee. 
Um, but as is, you know, for everything that we talk about on this podcast, there is this thing called bioindividuality, which means that there's not a one size fits all approach. So we always encourage you to um, engage with functional and integrative medicine and to be critical, right? Self-experiment and um, be willing to reevaluate when things are not working for you. And so this is one of those areas where we highly recommend, you know, just um, being self-reflective on whether or not that morning cup of coffee or two or three is um, actually benefiting you versus maybe it's time to switch to a high quality uh, cup of coffee. Again, Stacy and I very, very much like Clean Coffee Company, which is why we asked them to sponsor this episode of the podcast. Um, but reevaluate whether or not it's, you know, time to switch to decaf or time to switch to uh, a different, a different beverage altogether. I hope not because although there are a small amount of people who don't like coffee, I'm assuming that they've not listened to the show all the way through, (laughs) (laughs) or maybe they wanted to know why they didn't like coffee. And this is in here. I think maybe there's like some aha moments like, oh, that is how I feel. And that's why I don't like, I wonder if they're like, but I'm a bitter hyper taster. So I'm supposed to be one of those people who like tastes vegetables as extra bitter. And I love coffee and I don't put any kind of sugar or sweetener in it whatsoever. I'm perfectly happy to drink black coffee, although I typically put collagen and a little bit of um, goat milk kiki in my coffee. But I am so with you on the collagen. But listeners, mm-hmm. let me just tell you, goat milk is not for the faint of heart. I was no. at Sarah's home and I smelled that stuff and I was like, you could not pay me to drink this in my coffee. <laughs> I don't know how first, you do it, Sarah. First, so it's really interesting. So uh, on the side of how we drink our coffee, because I think this is very relevant to this topic. Um, the first time I was like given a jar of goat milk ghee to try from a company and um, I, I tasted it and it's quite sour. It's very, very high in short chain fatty acids, which is why. Um, and so I, I was like, okay. So I tried it in my coffee and the first few sips were really off putting. I was like, this tastes different. I don't think I like this. But by the time I finished that cup, I was like, it's actually pretty good. And over the course of about three days, I developed a vast preference for goat milk ghee in my coffee compared to cow's milk ghee. Um, to the point where if I run out of goat milky, like I had to like add it to my Amazon subscribe and save. Um, and, um, and if I ever run out and I use, or if I'm traveling and I'm using, um, either like coconut milk or cream instead, or, um, cow ghee, it is no, nowhere near as enjoyable. Like it tastes like, Oh, I miss my real, I miss my coffee. It's, it's a very, um, it was a very interesting, I wouldn't have thought that just, you know, smelling the jar and that first few sips I of coffee, but remind, I developed a strong preference for it quickly. I want to remind our listeners that you also think kidneys taste good just so they can have like a frame so of So that reference. if they don't like goat milk, <laughs> they can just feel like there's something wrong with me instead of something <laughs> wrong with them. That's basically what you're saying. You know, just nothing but Got love it. for our listeners. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's <laughs> fine. I'm, you know, lettuce is also my favorite vegetable. So I understand my taste buds are not other people's taste buds. Um, I personally yes. always put collagen in my coffee. And when I don't have collagen in coffee, I'm like, what's wrong with this coffee? Um, 
I do really enjoy a latte or Americano. I need to, because we talked a little bit about the metabolization of coffee, let me just tell you from personal experience that if you are on the opposite end of the spectrum as Sarah, like me, um, then having a shot of coffee is a lot easier to metabolize um, than a cup of coffee, the way that it's brewed, like an espresso coffee is a darker roast, which means a lot more of um, the caffeine as well as the other good stuff is out of it. Um, But it's easier for me to control the amount of coffee that I'm getting. And in an Americano, for example, I'm just adding water to that. In a latte, we do have an espresso machine at home so that we can use almond milk and and make lattes that way. And um, I put the collagen in it. In an Americano, I do heavy cream because I am able to do that. And I just have um, grass-fed heavy cream at home. But if you go to your favorite um, coffee joint, they can often blend butter in a blender for you. Mm -hmm. If you um, can't do cream... um, and you're avoiding the additives in, you know, store-bought almond milk. This was like a revelation to me at one point as they often have like little butter packs, like Kerrygold butter packs behind the counter, and then they'll blend it in for you. So there are a lot of options when you're outside the home these days. But for me personally, I much prefer like a homemade Americano or latte with collagen in it. Um, and I have had the clean coffee as coffee, like as a latte, essentially, but using foamed milk with coffee. And I don't get jittery and messed up from it as long as I stick to like an eight ounce serving. But anything more than that, I can't do. Uh, So I was going to say, I I typically start my mornings with a double Americano and I use Clean Coffee Company coffee beans to make it. Um, And but I've also made it in a French press and it's still delicious that way, too. Um, I wanted to science for you a little bit. Um, as we wrap up and say that the reason why espresso has, it actually has higher antioxidants and lower caffeine. And it's because it's hot water pushed through the grounds, at high pressure and um, caffeine, the caffeine release from the grounds requires more time. So it releases less of the caffeine. So a like Americano, that's a one shot Americano that's eight ounces total compared to eight ounces of brewed coffee will have less caffeine. It'll still have a fair bit. It's not like decaf, um, but it'll have a little bit less caffeine than a brewed coffee. But that's because the water makes contact with the grounds for less time compared to like the most would be something like a, um, like a, uh, what's it called? Percolator where you're like boiling the ground or boil like, pushing the water over and over and over the grounds. Um, so fun fact, espresso is a great choice for people who find themselves really jittery with, um, with caffeine. Thank you for using words to describe what I clearly ineptly did. <laughs> yeah, but it still, it still has the antioxidants. It really has to do with how oh, that's easily the chemicals release from the, basically the like fibrous matrix of the ground. Okay. So last thing to cover, um, cold brew. I'm going to give the rundown. Yeah. So um, you're going to miss some of the antioxidants. Some of the antioxidants require the heat to be released into the cold brew, but you are again going to typically have a lower acidity and a lower um, caffeine 
content in cold brew because, uh, again, you're sort of missing that, that heat element to help release a lot of the beneficial effects. With a homemade cold brew, I will add, um, because a lot of the commercial cold brews are specifically made to maximize the caffeine. <laughs> but the, I mean, a lot of them are concentrates too, right? So, um, when you're getting a cold brew, that's a concentrate, like follow the instructions on the bottle for how to dilute it so that you're not drinking. And then double whatever that water is if you're in my position. Cause that's right. We make cold brew here at the house and Matt really likes iced coffee. He's like you, Sarah, he will drink it in the afternoon, like as a drink and you know, like a flavorful yeah. drink. And, um, so I have started taking to have that since he's not making himself hot coffee anymore. And I have to do- like double the water. And even then it, I sometimes am like halfway through a cup, like that's enough for me. So <laughs> I just think it's, it's important to listen to your body as you go through these things as well. Just like anything else, if you start to feel like a little more energized, <laughs> maybe it's not a good time to stop, slow your roll. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. It's like, I've got a totally amount of good coffee. In my I don't understand the problem. Yeah. Yep. It, exactly. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Paleo View. And I want to thank our sponsor, Clean Coffee Company. Again, you can go to cleancoffeecompany.com slash the Paleo View and use code 15 Paleo View for 15% off if you want to give them a try. Um, That's the numbers one five. Thank you. Paleo View, not spelled out. And Clean Coffee Company is also fully spelled out. I had a, like, I was typing a couple different ways and it took me a while to figure it out. So fully spelled spelled out. It's also spelled correctly. Like it's, there's nothing like cute, like replacing all the C's with K's or. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back again next week. And I hope if you're listening to this a little bit later that you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Sarah, I'm, is, I think Canadian Thanksgiving is like at a much different time than American Thanksgiving this year. Yeah. It's it's late, right? It's typically the same weekend as Columbus Day long weekend oh, so it's the second we the second it. day in october it's a while ago yeah well but happy belated a month and a half late thanksgiving to all the canadians that are listening look at what happens you let her come to the u.s become an american and now she doesn't even properly celebrate the holiday anymore Canada. i know i can't even say the word avocado correctly anymore you need to apologize you didn't apologize sorry that's why you're not canadian anymore sorry <laughs> Awesome. Thanks so much, listeners. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Okay, let's start with coffee so that we can be done in an hour and you can transition and have a cup of coffee before your meeting so you can be relaxed. Well, a cup of coffee is not going to relax me because I do not have your magic coffee gene. (laughs) (laughs) I love my magic coffee gene. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. (sighs) I think it's okay. I think we said enough. (laughs) We always say enough. (laughs) You know, what's funny is I'm um, friends with someone who is like not super our community but like listened to a podcast and shared it and um 
shout out to Amanda if this becomes a blooper. Anyway, and um, <laughs> when she shared it in her Facebook page, like basically warning friends who weren't necessarily paleo, she was like, I know it's really long, but it's worth a listen. And I was like, I couldn't see what the podcast was, but I was like, I guarantee you she just shared our podcast. And it was, it was totally <laughs> ours. <laughs> I'm like, once upon a time, we were like, we're going to be really committed to 45 minutes. Uh, That was the day. (laughs) Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.